Welcome to CooperCast, the Shuggy Otis episode. This is your host, Al's pod person, John Sachs. Al talks about going to visit blues great Johnny Otis and his son Shuggy in California and getting them to agree for Shuggy to go to New York and record an album with Al. The album took just a weekend. It contains some great music and some great, great blues guitar by Shuggy Otis, who was only 15 years old. To start with, how did the whole thing come about? I went to visit his father, and I complimented his father on the Shuggy Otis album. It wasn't a Shuggy Otis album. It was his father's album, but where Shuggy had a lot of playing on it. Right. So I said, uh, he's pretty good for 14. And we left. And then I said, how would you feel about me recording him, doing a maybe a duet album? He said, uh, where are you going to do it? I said, New York, hopefully. He said, well, he'd have to stay with you. And I said, that's no problem. I said, and we'll, you know, we'll take care of him. Yeah. He wasn't happy about it, but he thought it would be interesting like I did. Yeah. So we did it. Why not record it in California and let uh, Johnny Otis watch over his son? Because there wasn't a, a, stu- a Columbia studio in San Francisco at that time Got it. That, that I could use. I see. Okay. All right. So he would have had to go to L.A. and he would have been on the road then. Right. So he might as well... Right. Come and I had a nice guest room. I met him at his father's house that day. Right. First time. Yeah. Yeah. Shy kid? Yeah. He may not have been confident in life yet, but he certainly was on the guitar. Yes, he was. And he liked the idea? Yeah. Did he know about Supercession? Was he totally on top of that? I have no idea. Okay. But he, he was up for going to New York with you and doing an album. Yep. The whole album was recorded in like a weekend? A weekend, yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, we just went in and jammed. Right. Neither of us had anything to learn. You know, as we've talked about, the blues tends to be a good jamming thing because the chord patterns are somewhat predictable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted them to be comfortable, and I wanted to be comfortable. Side one is called The Songs. Inside two is called the blues. Just develop out of how the weekend worked out. No, I think I had a basic idea. Okay. Of what I wanted to do. Right. You had bass drums and another guy on keyboard and piano. His name was Mark Klingman, I believe. Muggy. Yeah. Yeah. And he played on not everything but a bunch of it. Uh, Stu Woods. It was playing in my band at the time. And Wells Kelly. Hunter. was playing in my band at the time. Okay. So that was easy. Uh, we recorded that stuff live. Right. The only thing that might have been added and might have been those background vocals, but they might have been no, live no, too. No, no, they were on the session. Oh, they were on the session. Yeah. So they, everybody was right there. Yeah. Like, like you did with Dylan. Everybody's right there. Yeah. Okay. I think I picked the songs in advance. Right. And... I taught them to the band. Okay. And then we recorded them. 
It was very uncomplicated. Yeah. It probably took two days to do. Yeah. And then I just had to mix it. Right. So where did the title Slow Goombash Blues come from? That's a From me. Just a name. Came out of nowhere. Well, Goombash was a word I learned from uh, Bob Newworth. Oh, okay. Who was Dylan's road manager. Right. And it applied to uh, anything that he wanted to call a goon bash. Okay. Um, one of the things I liked about Shuggy Otis's guitar on that is that there's he he has a whole bunch of different approaches. You know, he doesn't do one sort of thing. Uh, for especially amazing for a fifteen-year-old kid, he does like this, and then he sort of stops and does a whole other approach. It's very cool. Well, he was raised by a, a top blues musician. Yeah. So it's much different than me, who was raised by a lawyer. Right. You know, he had background. He had serious background from the time he could comprehend music. Yeah. yeah. They say he was on and, stage and, when he was like eight or something. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was at eight, I was in my father's law office, and I thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. Really? Yeah, but then music hit me. Yeah. One of the things I love about his sound is the tone, tone. That, that he gets. It's just beautiful, pure rock blues sound. It is a very good tone, and and uh, I enjoyed that. It's got a combination of the guitar and the amp, the way you know. Yep. How do you record that back in those days? How do you, With a microphone. Just stick a mic in front of the amp. Yes. The speaker. Is the average microphone able to handle that level of volume, or do you need some kind of special No, mic? you use Neumanns. That are, that are okay with that sound pressure? Yeah, they're very expensive. Okay. There's two Shuggy uh, things on side, too. There's his old-time boogie, which is actually uh, him playing, I think, acoustic slide guitar. Mm -hmm. That's, like, totally different than his electric thing. I assume he brought an acoustic guitar with him. And it's just you, I guess, on piano, and it sounds like an old-time 78. It's like Oh, a, I, I doctored it. Yeah, yeah. But no drums, no bass, just you hammering away on an old-time-sounding piano and him playing the slide guitar. So it sounds like a blues cut from 1933 or something. That was my intention. It's cool. And then, you know, the last song is uh, Shuggy's Shuffle. But that's why I wrote down tone, because the tone on Shooky Shuffle is particularly sweet. He was adept at uh, working a nap and working a guitar. Yeah. He was quite adept at that. And that surprised me, but I enjoyed it because uh, it took one long piece of work out of my script. Yeah, yeah. He didn't sing... Uh, on the whole album, he played just played guitar. I didn't. I never heard him sing, so I didn't know that that was available. So the album, uh, you, you guys wrap up the album after a weekend, and then you mix it, and Columbia puts it out, and uh, doesn't set the world on fire like uh, Super Session with Bloomfield, I guess, because he wasn't. Nothing equaled that, really, except. So the live albums came close. By the way, uh, I read two comments on the um, Shuggy Otis album. 
uh, one said side A is uh, terrific, side two, side B is all just a lot of BS. And then the other comment was side A is no good, but side B is terrific. Well, actually, that's, that's very good because I wanted to reach everybody. Yeah. So I, I didn't do it with both sides, but I reached everybody between the two sides. One of the things that I read online in more than one place is that at some point around there, uh, early 70s, he was invited to become the second guitarist for Rolling Stones. And he said no, because he was convinced that his solo career was going to take off. But uh, it's just, it's an interesting story. A, a guy who at 15 was an astounding guitarist and didn't become a household name, even though he clearly had the chops to. But the kid could play. The kid could play. This has been CooperCast, the Shuggy Otis episode, brought to you by Side A and Side B. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or just about anywhere. And tell your friends.